Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Wednesday evening, where we have the opportunity once again to talk about the uh, life and thought of one Pope Francis. And uh, because it is Wednesday, I have Bob Cross with me. So, Bob, as always, it is great to have you uh, with me this evening. Great to be here, Joe. Thank you. So, Bob... A pretty quiet week on the Pope Francis front, if that exists these days. Uh, but I, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, his homily on Sunday, and then we'll get into joy of the gospel. And he once again took the the opportunity to talk about the devil. You know, Sunday was uh, All Souls Day, and so he talked about the devil, and uh, he has been talking about the devil a lot. Uh, we have talked about this before. But I came across uh, an article that I found on catholicvote.org. And as I've been playing around with some thoughts about maybe some theological points to be had about the devil, uh, I thought we could spend a little bit of time talking about the devil. Because make no mistake about it, Pope Francis has spent his pontificate in a full frontal assault against the devil. He has, yes, talked about poverty. He has, yes, talked about the need to go to the margins, and he has embodied what it means to have a heart for the poorest of the poor. But if there was something else that he has talked about, if there is the next thing, the second thing, there's no question here, Bob. It is him talking about the devil. It's it's constant. And again, this isn't something that you're going to see on CNN, but I'm going to tell you here and now, he's talking about it a lot this past October, he says, you know, there is no shadow of a doubt. A battle exists, a battle in which the eternal salvation of us all is at stake. You know, in June, he says, what? Look around us. It is enough to open a newspaper to see the presence of evil. The devil is acting. Now, in this article, CatholicVote.org, they kind of pose the question, you know, what does Pope Francis intend to mean by this? And then they kind of list a series of articles. Is it the Daily Beast reporting from southern Louisiana that the Hosanna Church was the heart of a child sex abuse scandal shrouded in reports of devil worship and rituals with cat blood and pentagrams? Is it the satanic killers making headlines from Bangkok to Johannesburg to Harris County, Texas? Is it the Church of Satan? Uh, vying for respectability by shoring up its brand and rejecting tainted admirers and planning public monuments. We talked about that in Oklahoma City, huh, Bob? Uh, or is it the satanic activities such as the Indiana infestation that is being so widely reported? On one level, yes. But as uh, this author in this article notes, uh, he believes, and I would agree with him, that Pope Francis likely has something else in mind besides this satanic activity. Certainly, the manifestations that we have been seeing is on one level, yes, unprecedented, Bob, but we must remember something about Satan. He is subtle. So I think with Pope Francis, it is more of that subtle activity. If you were to go to Genesis 
uh, 3.1. He's in the garden because why he was subtle. Now, it's interesting. If you were to translate that Hebrew word for subtle, it's the exploitation of nakedness. We have been talking about this, Bob, a great deal in our Thursday evening programs as it relates to theology of the body. We're not going to get into that now. If you're curious to that, go to Thursday evenings. But what I want to highlight here is the way in which Satan is subtle, how he works in all of these subtle ways. And this is uh, what Pope Francis is talking about. You know, he says we must fight against complacency. He warned, and I love this, Bob, that the devil's strategy relies on our complacency, that the devil bargains with us. This is Pope Francis. You become a Christian, go forward in your faith, and I will leave you alone. I will leave you in peace. But then, once you have grown accustomed to it, you're no longer watchful and feel secure, I will return. (laughs) That's Pope Francis and how he bargains with us. On another occasion, he said, the devil wants to chain us to comfort, to the search for fleeting pleasure. So he says we must fight back, be on guard. Do we watch over ourselves? Do we guard our hearts, our feelings, our thoughts? Do we guard the treasure of grace? Do we protect the Holy Spirit's presence within us? These are questions that he says we should be asking. So he says, first and foremost, we must fight against that demon of complacency and uh, avoid the bargaining uh, with the devil. You know, you think about sloth, one of the, you know, if not the most insidious. uh, Capital sin. Yeah, capital sin. I think that complacency, sloth, you know, this disregard for the devil or pretending or just thinking that it doesn't really exist. I think this is what shocks a lot of uh, Vatican followers and those who in the mainstream media that report on Pope Francis is that uh, they keep hearing this topic of the devil. and They don't know quite how to deal with it because it doesn't have some of the same juicy sound bites that we've talked about a lot uh, when it comes to their reporting or how they they want to try to read things into Pope Francis's um, teachings and, and speeches and words. And I think that Pope Francis, you know, along with everything else you mentioned that he does talk about, and poverty is very, very much at the forefront of his thoughts in today's world, um, that hand-in-hand hand with that complacency is where he wants to remind us there's a reason for that, that we are at war. You know, he this last comment was the devil is real he was very very strong in saying hey he's real it is real and and don't forget that you know we are constantly to be on guard we're constantly you know to put on the the breastplate of armor you know as, as saint paul tells us amen you know, uh to because that we are at war each and mm. every day against the adversary yeah and each and every hour each and every minute yeah, yeah i mean paul makes that quite clear yeah, it's to remember, you know, Satan, you know, the, the Greek uh, diabolos, uh, to, it literally means to throw something across into the path of another, okay? And his greatest diversion is that he doesn't exist. I mean, because if he doesn't exist, then we don't have to concern ourselves with sin, and if we don't have to concern ourselves with sin, then we don't have to concern ourselves with Jesus. And ah, this is his grand plan. Remember what Jesus means, right? Yeshua. God saves us from what? Our sin. So he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. You know, here we are, Bob, on the heels of uh, Halloween. 
and I saw a few little devils with their pitchforks, um, you know, the costumes. And I got to thinking about something else. This Saturday, uh, Notre Dame football plays Arizona State in the Fighting Irish against the Sun Devils. It got me thinking. <laughs> so, okay, everyone's throwing a fit about the Redskins. It's in the courtroom right now. You know, the Redskins need, need to change the name because it's offending so many people. We have seen this over the last 10 to 15 years. All of these name changes because so many people are being offended. Um, the devil's not offended. He likes that, you know, that pitchfork sun devil. That cartoon-like figure on the helmet where he's dressed in like a, a, a funny costume. Because for us, ah, he's not real. The devil is not going to concern himself with name changes. In fact, it's part of his plan. He wants us thinking about him as some sort of cartoon caricature. He wants us thinking about him so that we don't actually think about him for who he is. It's part of his plan because as you noted, Bob, as long as we think he doesn't exist, then he has us right where we want him. And certainly, again, this has been very much a part of Pope Francis's message just this past Sunday. The devil is real. He also talked about the devil as it relates to hatred. And I thought this was so important, Bob. You know, uh, hatred is a constant temptation in the world. And it was actually on All Saints Day that uh, the Pope warned hatred belongs to the devil. You know, he says, hatred does not come from God, but from the devil. And the saints, again, this is All Saints Day, and the saints remove themselves from the devil. The saints are men and women who have joy in their hearts, and they spread it to others. Never hate, but serve others, the most needy. Pray and live in joy. This is the way of holiness. He also talked about the need to fight against worldliness, because that is another domain where the devil abides. He says, simply put, worldliness is the enemy. The devil derives great pleasure from seeing us live according to its ways. That is a great challenge right there, Bob. The devil derives great pleasure from seeing us live according to its ways. And it's interesting, Bob, as we're talking about the world, there's that passage from Romans 12, 2, I believe it is, you know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, perfect, the will of God, that uh, word for world in the Greek schema, agenda, right? The world has an agenda. The world belongs to Satan. I mean, this is the kind of uh, thing that Paul talks about. He, he juxtaposes, you know, darkness and light, uh, truth from lies, Christ from the world, because the world is constantly looking to advance his scheme. So as it concerns the words of Pope Francis, he goes on, the devil cannot endure that man be superior to him, that man and woman be made in the image and likeness of God. This is why he made war on them and entices us onto a road that leads us to death. That road is idolatry, spent in thrall to mammon. And remember what the word mammon means, just not riches, but in the Hebrew, to trust riches, which I think is a different thing there. His message is loud and clear. This message from Pope Francis. You cannot dialogue with the prince of the world. Pope Francis says, with that prince, there is no dialogue. You can only answer him with the word of God who defends us. 
The prince of the world hates us. And what he did with Jesus, he will do with us. Wow. (laughs) I mean, those are some very strong words. But he also says this on another occasion. I would like to say out loud, God is stronger. Do you believe this, that God is stronger? Let us say it together. Let us say it all together. God is stronger. Mm. You know, it's interesting. In the last time that uh, our emeritus Pope Benedict XVI was together with Pope Francis, a lot of uh, discussion was had about how they were you know, in the presence of one another. But they didn't really talk about why they were in the presence of one another. They were together because they were consecrating the Vatican City State to who? St. Michael the Archangel. And in the words of Pope Francis, let us ask him to defend us from the evil one and cast him out. Wow. <laughs> to understand Pope Francis is, yes, to talk about how he's this, this Pope for the poorest of the poor. We get that. We've talked about that a great deal. We'll be talking about it a lot more, Bob. But for all this other stuff that we've been talking about, and justifiably so, let us not forget one of his core messages, which is about the devil. Well, sure. And you think about the core message um, really is about the devil because everything that we're talking about, everything that he wants to represent in terms of how we can become truly free and truly you know, in love and on fire for God is by, by virtue of our ability to be able to remove ourselves from the world of the devil, which is you know, our everyday, every moment you know, aspect to our lives, as you, as you, as you mentioned or, or brought up earlier. It's, it's really about how we can insulate ourselves, and it's difficult for every one of us, and he knows that, and that's why he keeps reminding us that you know, we find a way to keep ourselves in God's world, not ours, mm-hmm. you know. The devil's playground is right here on earth, and it's everywhere we turn and everywhere we look. Mm -hmm. And he knows that we have to constantly be on guard and vigilant for that. That's why he keeps reminding us of that, Mm -hmm. so that we can get on with God's work. If we're involved in God's work, we don't have time for the devil's playground. That's right. Amen. Satan does not have any truth enough himself, right? So the best he can do is plagiarize truth. That is the truth that belongs to God. And so... Uh, He is uh, the father of all lies. And if we are busy living in God, then the other thing is we will be able to detect Satan for who he is. You know, I had mentioned earlier that the diabolos is to scatter, kind of to throw this rock in the middle of the road and have us kind of go another path. You know, what he does is he draws our attention over here, and we think we, we have him pegged. We think we see him in front of us, and all the while... He's behind her back, you know, he, and, and we don't even realize that. But if we are humble in God, if we are humble in God, if we uh, are the Anawim of God, remember the Anawim are those poorest of the poor in the Old Testament. Anawim in the Hebrew literally means to be bent over. If we are on bended knee in God, we will be able to detect that. There's that great and powerful image that comes to us from uh, a visionary, uh, from one of the desert fathers, and he has this—he has this image of Satan, and he's describing this very wrangly, ugly-looking, beast-like figure. And the one thing I will never forget, Bob, is as he's describing this this demon, 
He says he has no knees. He has no knees. And I thought, wow, there it is. That makes perfect sense because he has never acquired that humble disposition. He has no knees. So if we want to assume what that disposition looks like as it relates to how to detect the adversary and how to live in God, humility, humility, and amen to that. Okay, with that, with the remainder of our time, Bob, let us get into the joy of the gospel. Again, this is, uh, I think we finished up paragraph 102. We are in paragraph 103. We are in this section for all of you listeners out there who are following along with us. We're in this section that's titled uh, Other Ecclesial Challenges. So last week was about the laity, and uh, this evening will be about uh, women, uh, and then potentially, barring time, uh, what he has to say with, with the youth. Here's paragraph 103. The Church acknowledges the indispensable contribution which women make to society through the sensitivity, intuition, and other distinctive skill sets which they, more than men, tend to possess. I think, for example, of the special concern which women show to others, which finds a particular, if not exclusive, expression in motherhood. I readily acknowledge that many women share pastoral responsibilities with priests, helping to guide people, families, and groups, and offering new contributions to theological reflection. But we need to create still broader opportunities for a more incisive female presence in the church. Because the feminine genius is needed in all expressions in the life of society, the presence of women must also be guaranteed in the workplace and in the various other settings where important decisions are made, both in the church and in social structures. And that there, he's quoting John Paul II, correct? Correct. Bob, yeah, which I think is really important. I love in this document where Pope Francis will either quote our Emeritus Pope or now St. John Paul the Great, uh, because we can really begin to appreciate the continuity that exists between these three popes. You know, that's John Paul II talking about this feminine genius being more involved in the workplace. Okay, now I know... Uh, that language, Bob, broader structure. I think that made a lot of people uncomfortable. But uh, before we give more commentary, maybe we'll read a little bit of 104 to settle some of our listeners' hearts who are hearing this for the first time. Let me get back to 104 here, because uh, he makes it pretty clear that, you know, it's not a discussion about women as priests by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and, and he's very aware, Bob, of the language that is being used out there as it relates to the Catholic Church and it being about a power grab of the Church. No, this is not what we are about. This has nothing to do with what uh, the priest is about. In fact, he not only offers up uh, a nice, succinct definition of why there is no women priesthood, he then goes into power, which is very relevant. Paragraph 104 demands that the legitimate rights of women be respected based on the firm conviction that men and women are equal in dignity. Present with the, with the church, the profound and challenging questions which cannot be lightly evaded. The reservation of the priesthood is, is to males as a sign of Christ the spouse who gives himself in the Eucharist is not a question open to discussion. But it can prove especially divisive if sacramental power is too closely identified with power in general. It must be remembered that when we speak of sacramental power, where we are in the realm of function, 
not that of dignity or holiness. The ministerial priesthood is one means employed by Jesus for the service of his people, yet our great dignity derives from baptism, which is accessible to all. The configuration of the priest to Christ the head, namely as the principal source of grace, does not imply an exaltation which would set him above others. In the church, functions do not favor the superiority of some vis-a-vis the others. Indeed, a woman. Mary is more important than the bishops. Even when the function of ministerial priesthood is considered hierarchical, it must be remembered that it is totally ordered to the holiness of Christ's members. Its keys and axis is not power understood as domination, but the power to administer the sacrament of the Eucharist. This is the origin of its authority, which is always a service to God's people. This presents a great challenge for pastors and theologians who are in a position to recognize more fully what this entails with regard to the possible role of women in decision-making in different areas of the Church's life. Amen. We give commentary, and quite honestly, we've noted this before, Bob, that what makes this exhortation unique is that it is very simple in its terminology, for the most part, (laughs) for the most part. And in that, uh, it needs less commentary from the likes of of you and I. Uh, That being said, there are a few points of reflection, uh, specifically as he's talking about ministerial priesthood and ordinary priesthood, okay, that priesthood that belongs to uh, baptism, because that is where we receive the power uh, of who we are as children of God, and out from being a child of God, our Lord shows us who we are called to be in light of the vocation that He has set before us, in light of the path that uh, He has designed for us, and we are made to discern that. And yeah, it has nothing to do with it being about power. I love the fact that He addressed that directly, you know? And so if you are a man and you want to become a priest to essentially assert your uh, your domination, you have discerned badly. And if you're a woman, if you're a woman and and you're concerned about your place in the church because of the priesthood, no. He's saying it's not about that. It's about discovering the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, so that you might in turn be disposed and surrender to the ways in which God is calling you to serve. And Bob, I love the fact that he turns to Mary. For any woman out there who would question that the church is some institutional male power grab, he is right on the button when he says that Mary is the most important person. As you and I have noted before, Bob, if he wished women to become priests. Do you not think that he would ordain his own mother as the first priest? But of course, he doesn't. Because as Pope Francis highlights, that is not the way he has set up the kingdom of God. And so in light of that, I think for all women, it is important to find their dignity in Mary. And what does Mary teach every woman in how to be a model disciple? That it is about surrender. It is about that interior attitude of faith and being willing to surrender to the prerogatives of God's way in any way, shape, or form. And yes, Pope Francis said, we need to broaden our vision and the church will continue to do so. And it's also interesting here, Bob, as John Paul II did, he recognizes uh, the role that women have shown uh, throughout the history of the church and especially 
uh, most recently in the late 20th century and early, early 21st century, we can see that uh, women from one parish to another have played uh, distinctive roles. You know, I, we can just go to our own local parishes and, you know, who is the first person that so many people meet the first time they walk through uh, that parish door, that parish office door? Uh, but usually a, a woman who um, is that intermediary per- person. And uh, how important is that, you know, for that personality to not be down, oppressive, but, you know, life-giving? You know, I think our, our local parishes um, are strong in that way. We have women in roles that are very effusive uh, in their personalities and, and are life-giving. And uh, so he, yeah, he, acknowledges, he, he acknowledges the importance of that. Decision-making, um, there's a lot of decisions that are made at the parish level that are yeah. involved with women. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because when you go down to the bottom of paragraph uh, 103, he really emphasizes the importance of uh, women involved in the decision-making in the church and its social structures. And I, I tell you what, I, I've traveled from one diocese to another uh, and I often do see uh, just not nuns and religious playing a prominent role, but women. You know, so the, the church is doing a good job in this area. We don't always see it that way, but but the church really is doing a good job in this area, both both locally and abroad. You know, we were talking about the synod, and even the synod had some female presence in there as well. And for all of this, uh, Bobby, you know, why are we talking about women's role in the church? Why does Pope Francis bring it up. It's just more than a response to, you know, a male power grab. It's because of what they have to offer. He said it, their sensitivity, uh, their intuition. You know, if you were to go into any liturgy committee meeting, or if you were to go into any, you know, parish head council meeting or finance uh, committee meeting, all of these subcommittees that all these parishes have, to be able to have that feminine genius, as John Paul II calls it, that sensitive intuition, that ability to see into something that maybe uh, a male-dominated group wouldn't have. Uh, It's very important into the life of the church, uh, to the growth of a parish, and essentially to the mission of the new evangelization. And this is why Pope Francis is talking about this. So I'm looking up at the clock here, Bob. We are out of time, and I don't know if you had any closing thoughts. No, I just that I, you know, again, you know, the, the media of the world likes to, you know, look at the synod see the bishops and the cardinals and the pope and they think it's this heavily male you know dominated decision making um structure the church and it and it's not it really isn't yeah. and i think that's what you know um pope francis is saying and he says yeah is there a need for you know more um incisive involvement with women at all decision making levels absolutely as there is with everybody but i love the way he talks about just baptism because we're all part of body of Christ. Our power comes from the gift of the Holy Spirit, yeah. bottom line, and we all possess that. And if we want to live out our, uh, we, if we want to live out faithfully our vocations, we entrust ourselves to that power, which is uh, the Holy Spirit. All right. Very good, Bob. Let's close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.